Amen. Father, that is true. That is right to praise you. Father, and that is a glimpse of what we will be doing for eternity in your presence. On that day when we see you face to face, whether we can even stand or whether we just fall on our faces, God, we will be echoing that chant for eternity. And I pray that, God, you would stir us up to more of that today. No matter where we are, Father, no matter what this week has been like, no matter what this morning's been like on the way to church, Father, I pray right now that we would, uh, Father, cast all of those things on you because you care for us. You care for us and you desire to minister to us deeply this morning. And so, Father, would you find a people that do not pride themselves against you, but God, humble themselves before you. God, willingly, joyfully, eagerly, under the authority of your word, and there would be freedom, there would be healing, there would be refreshment, there would be rebuke, there would be correction, there would be training in righteousness, God, for your people this day. We have so much to thank you for, so much to celebrate. And so, Father, would you guard my mouth from error, say what you want to say to your church today. This is your church. We are your servants. You are our king. Father, get all the glory for today. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. What a blessing it is to be here again in the house of the Lord with you harvest and I pray that we don't ever stop meeting together but uh, all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching and that we don't take what we get to do here for granted. What a gift this is. Well today we are continuing in our series in the book of Acts entitled The Foundations of the Church. This has been a tremendous series for our church and I pray that God continues to grow us today through that. Um, We are looking in Acts chapter 2, the last part of Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. If you do not have a Bible, make sure you have one in front of you today. So ushers are going to come forward, they're going to turn around and then move back and hand those Bibles out. If you do not have a Bible at home, then please keep that as a free gift as our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us and to encourage you to study God's word on your own as well. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and the title of this morning's message is this, The Mark of the Church, Uncommon Community. The Mark of the Church, Uncommon Community. So far in this series, in the first four messages, we've looked at the promise to the church, the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the mission of the church to make disciples. We've looked at the power in the church, the Holy Spirit. We've looked last week at, or two weeks ago, I guess last week, the message of the church, the gospel, and now we're looking at the mark of the church, uncommon community. So, Again, we have this definition of the church that I pray we are committing to memory throughout this time because it's going to be really important as we keep moving through the series. The church is defined, the Greek word is ecclesia, and it is defined as the people of God living on mission for God, and here's going to be something so crucial for today, in the power of God. The people of God, someone comes up to you at work tomorrow and says, what's a church? You go to church, what is church? Here's your definition. The people of God living on mission for God in the power of God. Every single one of those pieces is crucial. You can't take one out and still call it a church. That's the reality. And and that part, that last part we're going to focus on today, it's going to be key because nothing of what we're about to unpack today in God's blueprint for the church as an uncommon community happens without it. 
And so today we continue in Acts 2 and we're going to see, loved ones, the single greatest mark of the church that is living on mission for God and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is, that church is an uncommon community. An uncommon community. Now, let's make sure we're on the same page here. What is the definition of an uncommon community? What is that? Okay, you'll see it on the screen. I love how uh, Pastor James McDonald describes it this way, and it's bang on. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God and our service to God, binding us together in love toward one another. Beautiful. Yes. Let's say it again. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God and our service to God, binding us together in love toward one another. Now, let's just dispel any uh, myths here. This doesn't mean that every church here who does this is going to be perfect at it all the time, okay? There's no such thing as a perfect church on this side of eternity, okay? But it is one that will persevere together in the power of the Spirit to see the mission of God accomplished for his glory, And you say, well, why is this uncommon community, why is this so important to God that he would devote an entire blueprint of what his church is to look like here in this section of text? Here's why. Because, loved ones, there's a problem in the church today. And I was sobered in my research on this this week. Most churches today, especially here in the West, are representing the common community of the world instead of the uncommon community of Christ. You say, what does that look like? What does that mean? Individualism has replaced true fellowship. Corporation has replaced community. Consumerism has replaced service. Pride has replaced humility. Devotion to God's word has been replaced with a devotion to man's opinion. Submission has been replaced with rebellion. Reverence for God is replaced with the rejection of God, even in those claiming his name. God's power has been replaced with man's preferences. And that's just a snapshot. Sobering in my research this week. And all of this begs the question... How can the church get back to what it has been called to? What are the marks of the spirit-filled, uncommon community God intends his church to be and will receive his blessing? See, here in our text, God gives us the blueprint for how he wants his church to live spirit-filled and on mission for his glory. And he gives us, loved ones, he's so kind. The word of God is so clear. We don't have to guess at this stuff. It's right here in front of us. What is the church to be? Here you go. Here's six verses devoted to it. Amazing. He gives us three essential traits that we must be devoted to, Harvest. If we are to see his power and glory in and through our church, through the uncommon community we are called to be. And in honoring the authority of God's word, let's stand to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The fellowship of the believers 
verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, for our church to be an uncommon community, we must have, first off, we see here an uncommon devotion to Christ. An uncommon devotion to Christ. It is where everything else flows out of. Look at verses 42 and 43 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe, love that word, came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Let's get some context. Let's remember where we're at. The day of Pentecost has just happened and the Holy Spirit has been poured out to the church. The apostle Peter, if you remember from last week, has just given the very first sermon in the history of the church. What a sermon that was, eh? Not mine, his, his, right? What an amazing sermon that was that he unpacked. The apostle Peter First sermon in the church declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit through him, remember the result? 3,000 people get saved and were baptized in one day. 3,000 people. Can you imagine the administrative mess that was in one day? Hey, uh, great. Praise God, where are we going from here? Anyone got a house we can meet in? For real. Imagine that from one day. And now, as a result of that, this is the outflow of that. Now we start to see the effects of Pentecost on the church through the spirit-filled church. And the first thing, notice this, the first thing that we see God's people doing, it says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves devoted that is a word that is being attacked all over the place in society today what is devotion why stay married get another wife why stay devoted to what god has called you to why stay devoted to his church there's a church on every corner why not just church hop let's look at what god means when he says Devotion. Let's get God's terms on this. You'll see it on the screen. The Greek word for devotion there. Hey, love the Greek, Josh. (laughs) Sweet. That wasn't planned to be on the slide. Love it. The Greek word devoted there means to persist or be steadfast in. Stay in a fixed direction. To stay in a fixed direction. To be steadfast in. To literally, to continue to do something with, love this word, intense effort despite any difficulties. Intense effort. Not a, oh, when I get around to it effort. Not a, oh, I don't really feel like it. An intense effort despite any difficulties. In this case right here, 
giving their lives to following Christ and seeing his church built up for his glory. That's where their devotion was towards. It's what everyone in that church, 3,000 plus people, were devoted to seeing happen. Now just stop for a moment. That word you see there, devotion. Leave it on the screen, loved ones. Is this the level of devotion to Christ that we see increasingly in his church today? Overall, and there's faithful church, but I'm talking about overall. Is this what we're seeing? How about in the individual lives of believers? Devotion to Christ, counting the cost. Dying to self that Christ may live in them. See this, are we seeing this pressing on and all in whatever it takes to Jesus Christ and staying steadfast in the faith with an intensity in spite of the opposition that is increasingly against it? How about this, when, when our life gets hard, how about this, when we want to quit? When we say, this is, I've been struggling against this sin for a long time. It just doesn't seem to be good. I want to quit. How about when we're weary, when we feel weak? Is this the steadfast devotion we're seeing in our lives and in us as a church? When we're disappointed that something didn't happen how or when we wanted it to, either with God in our personal lives or in his church? Is this the devotion we are living with, loved ones? The devotion we are called to? This isn't a Pastor Ray thing. This is a God thing. See, loved ones, I'm, I'm very much with you that sometimes God allows some very difficult and hurtful situations into our lives for reasons that we may never understand until we reach eternity. I'm very much with you there. And some of us even here have been going and are going through some right now. It's Mother's Day. That can be a harmful, hurtful time for some people. And it hurts. Let's recognize it. And the pain can be great. The disappointment can be crushing. And we may not feel like continuing to pursue and be devoted to Christ as our first love in and through those times. It's tempting to want to stop and look elsewhere, isn't it? Hey, loved ones, before we move on, I just want to say this. If that's you in that place this morning, or when it may happen to you in the future, because it's coming, loved ones, we're going to have trials. It's promised. We're going to suffer. That's promised. Remember this. You have a God that sees it. You have a God, Exodus 2 says, God knows. He carries every one of your and my tears in a bottle. He does not forget one sigh that comes from a heavy heart. He sees it and he knows it. And he feels it more than you do or I do. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And here's the thing right there in your circumstance. I don't know where you're at today. But listen, I will tell you this. He longs for you to draw near to him right now in it so he can draw near to you. Don't push him away. Don't do it. Don't do it. It will lead to no place good. 
He longs to draw near to you. If you choose, you gotta choose it, loved ones, to draw near to him. I say this, loved ones, don't let the emotion determine your devotion. Don't do it. Do not let your emotion determine your devotion. He longs to comfort, to strengthen, to uphold, to heal, to restore, and to be glorified in and through you right in the middle of that. And he will. He's promised to do it. He will not leave or forsake you. But the truth is this, isn't it, loved ones? I speak as much for myself as anyone else in this room. Too often we let our level of emotion in those times determine our level of devotion to Christ through those times, don't we? The anger, the frustration, the sorrow determines our level of devotion. And this is why a faithful devotion to Christ is so uncommon in the church today. Why? Because it takes faith. It takes faith to look at the circumstance and to set our eyes to looking back at the face of God. It takes faith. Now, based on Hebrews 11, let's get a real practical, drilled-down definition of faith. Here it is. Choosing to believe God's word and acting upon it in his power. There's the key. No matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. There's faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 boiled down the assurance of what we hope for, the conviction of what we don't see. That's what it looks like, practically. Choosing to believe God's word and acting upon it in his power, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. No, yeah, but, yeah, no, well, God's word said this, but if you only knew, no. Choosing to believe it and acting on it, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. Faith, loved ones, is the birthplace of devotion. It's how our whole walk with Christ even starts. Repent and believe in faith. Faith is the birthplace of devotion. And some may say this, and I've said this plenty of times, maybe some here this morning, I don't think I can do that right now. The pain is too great. The anger is too deep. The unforgiveness is too strong. I don't think I can do that in faith right now. Take comfort. Here's some gospel truth. We must remember, loved ones. Here it is. Ready? You'll see it on the screen. God will never ask from us what he's not willing to do in us. God will not ask from us what he's not willing to do in us first. Remember, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who came to earth and died on a cross, living a perfect life to swallow the penalty of sin and death for you and me and for all those who put their faith and trust in him alone. And let's not forget, don't we so easily forget this, loved ones? He was tempted in every way, like you and I have been, are being, or will ever We have a high priest who was tempted literally in every single way you have faced. Tempted with the discouragement. We tend to think just just because Jesus was fully God at the same time as being fully man that he didn't get discouraged. Wrong. Just read the book of Luke and you'll see that. 
He wasn't tempted with discouragement. Of course he was. Of course he was. Maybe he was tempted in every way with disappointment that you and I are tempted with. And yet by the power of God, he overcame it and stayed perfectly devoted to the will of his father. And he went to the cross, bearing the wrath of God to save us, that in him we may walk in freedom too. Right in the middle of those times and not let the discouragement destroy the devotion. If we are to stay faithful to Christ, we must move, loved ones, from emotion to devotion. Let's not get derailed in a season. And I get it, it's hard. I've been through some very hard things. I'm sure you have as well. So I'm not, yeah, but if you only knew. Now, here's the reality. If we only knew the Savior and what he promises in those times, that's who we really need to know. And you say, well, that just means that's Christianity for you. Just kind of ignore and put on this happy face. Hey, let's get some clarity, loved ones. Devotion isn't ignoring the situation. It's not. We can go through some painful stuff. But it's holding fast and staying devoted to Christ within it. In the storm. In the dark. In the disappointment. And you say, well, how do I do that? What's this uncommon devotion to Christ look like? The common way is just to kind of put Christ on hold until I work through this or go to man's ways and man's opinion. Then I'll kind of get back to Christ when I'm in a better place. He's like, I didn't die for you so you could just come to me when you're in a better place. I came to you when you're at your weakest so I could heal your broken heart. So what does this look like? We see five things right here that we are called to be devoted to individually and as a church. Here it is. To be a church with an uncommon devotion to Christ, we must hold fast first to the teaching of Christ. To the teaching of Christ. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. The word teaching there is this. It's not just man's opinion, feel-good conversations, motivational pep talks. This is the teaching of established doctrine. This is the word of God that Christ had taught to the apostles and they were now teaching others. It is the foundation. God's word. You think God? God's a God of order. I love how he put this first in the list. Because everything else flows out of this. Right? Everything else, it is the foundation for all our growth and maturity. Order, this is put as first importance. Hanging on, holding fast to the teaching of Christ, devoting ourselves to it, because all other things flow out of it. How we live, how we think, how we act, how we pray, how we handle emotions, our outlook, all of it is filtered through something, and if it isn't being filtered through God's word and the truth that he proclaims, it's filtering us to a very dark place. That's the reality. Hang on, hold fast to the teaching. And this isn't just a devotion to hearing of the word, but a devotion to living out the word as it was taught. James 1.22, don't just be hearers of the word, loved ones, but be doers of the word in faith, acting upon it, regardless of how I feel, knowing God promises a good result. This takes humility. It takes submission. Saying, God, your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. And I can't see it, but I trust you. I'm humbling myself under your word. 
See, I love how John Stott says, the spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the word of God. So many people ask the question, how do I know if I'm keeping in step with the spirit? Here it is, are you submitting to the word of God? Because that's what the Holy Spirit will do. I will guide you, John 16 said, I will guide you into all truth. What's truth? The word of God. Eternally. How do we know if we're keeping in step with the spirit? Are you humbling yourself under the word of God? Are you taking counsel from it? Not opinion. Are you taking counsel from God's word? So question, are you humbling yourself under the word of God? Just simple question. Right in that situation, are you humbling yourself under him? Have you asked him to say, God, I'm not feeling it, but I'm in faith coming under your word. God always builds his church by his word. Hands down. To stay devoted to Christ is to stay devoted to his teaching. So to be a church with an uncommon devotion to Christ, we must hold fast. And by the way, by the way, we talk about this teaching of Christ. This is why, this is why 20 to 30 hours of my week are put into sermon prep. You get a 45 minute, 50 minute snapshot of what was 30 hours of study. And don't be like, oh, hey, there's Pastor. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we take it seriously and bank everything on it because God promises to build his church through it. Okay, so this isn't just, this is on me to make sure you're faithfully fed every week. To be a church with an uncommon devotion to Christ, we must hold fast to the teaching of Christ. Number two, we must hold fast to fellowship in Christ. Fellowship in Christ. Look at 42b. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And to the fellowship. What is the word for fellowship? The Greek word there. This is a key Greek word all throughout the New Testament. It's called koinonia. Koinonia. Which is this. A partnership. A community. An intimacy. Sharing. The intimate bond of fellowship which unites Christians. If I could sum that up, I'd say this. It's doing life together. Getting known and loved. Getting known and loved. Fellowship, John Stock goes on to say, fellowship expresses what we share together in Christ. That's our unity through the gospel for all who have been saved in Jesus Christ. That's the unity we have in him. But also this fellowship shows what we share out together, what we give as well as what we receive. This is unity through the gospel. And this is why I loved it. Do you know how strong this Christ church connection is? If you are out of fellowship with Christ, you are out of fellowship with his church. That's how strong it is. Why? Well, he's its husband. We are his bride. If you're out of fellowship with him, you're going to be out of fellowship with the church. Out of fellowship with our brothers and sisters. See, and look at this, devoted themselves to fellowship. The enemy works so hard to isolate, doesn't he? When you're walking in sin or you're going through a hard time, the last thing our flesh wants to do is to press into the Lord and to press into his church. He works to do this. No, take away. Why do you think he works that hard? Because he knows the power of pursuing him in the body of Christ. He knows the power of saying, this is where I'm struggling and having brothers and sisters in Christ come beside you and lay hands on you and pray over you. 
He knows the healing that's available. He knows the strength that's available. He knows this. But the flesh and the enemy is like, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to pull out here. Don't go to church. Don't get into small group. Don't talk to your small group leader and ask for prayer. Don't do that. Stay here. Stay with me because I'm just going to keep you a slave to your emotion. When God's like, don't. Don't do that, loved one. I gave you the body of Christ. And one of the greatest blessings we have as the body of Christ is the ability to fight together. In the power of the Holy Spirit, don't do it. Don't pull away. That's what the enemy wants. Even when you're holding on to sin in your life, don't, don't just confess that to a loving brother or sister and have them pray for you right now and restore it. Restore it. That's partnership. This is what we're called an uncommon devotion to. Five things we're called to be devoted to. Number one, the teaching of Christ. Number two, fellowship in Christ. Number three, here it is, right out of fellowship, the worship of Christ. Look at 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And here it is, the worship. The breaking of bread and the prayers. Love this. The breaking of bread, speaking of both sharing meals together and having the Lord's Supper or communion as part of that meal as an act of worship. They had meals together and then they incorporated communion into those meals, sharing that together. Why? Because when you share a meal, you share a life. In our Western culture, let's stop building fences and start building longer tables. And watch what God does to build his church. Corporately, individually. This is not just a Sunday morning together. That's a huge part of it. They tended, devoted themselves. We'll see in a moment. But this is a life of worship with each other. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Don't stop meeting together. You say, I'm feeling a hard time. I don't want to go to church. Don't do that. Don't do that. Loved ones, act in faith because God promises a blessing on the other side of obedience. He always does. To be a church with uncommon devotion to Christ, we must hold fast to the teaching of Christ to fellowship in Christ, to the worship of Christ. And here it is, you see number four, to prayer to Christ. Look at 42. So simple, these things. So simple, so clear, yet so hard to do. Teaching, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. A faithful church is a praying church, corporately and individually for one another. There is, and Daniel Henderson, uh, who I am just so blessed by his ministry, he says there's a difference between a church that prays and a praying church. Did you get that? There's a difference between a church that prays and a praying church. One has prayer programs. The other develops a prayer culture. Big difference. Huge difference. You can tell how popular a speaker is by who shows up on Sundays, and you can tell how popular Jesus is by who shows up at the prayer meeting. Jim Symbolist said that, and I've never forgot that. He says, a praying church is a faithful church. And I love, it's just a culture, a saturated culture of prayer. And I love walking it. One of my favorite things to do, here you go, a little personal revelation here. One of my favorite things to do when I come in on a Sunday morning, I peek around the corner because I just love seeing our welcome team pray in that hallway. Did it today, saw it again. I love hearing at the back of the stage our, our setup team and our production team in prayer for one another over the service. I love it. 
I love going down to harvest kids and knowing they're assembled in one of the classrooms interceding for one another over those kids. I love it. I love coming to prayer nights. Hey, plug for prayer night? Yeah, totally not ashamed to do that. Come to prayer night. I love it when God's people come together. We almost ran out of room at the last one. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. That's a culture of prayer. That's not just a church that prays with some programs. I'll wait, I'll go to the prayer program. This is a culture of prayer. I love it after the service when people come up for prayer. Yes, yes, or, or you're praying for each other in the seats. Amazing. Our small groups, I love watching them pray together and seek the Lord as one. That's the culture of prayer that we cannot take for granted and that God promises to bless. Show me a church that is devoted to prayer. I'll show you a church that is devoted to Christ. Why? Because what is prayer? It's our declaration of dependence on him. We need you or we're toast. The praying church is the devoted church. Whatever you say goes. In faith we follow you. Prayer night on Wednesday. Let's put that into practice corporately, loved ones. Let's do that. To be a church with an uncommon devotion to Christ, we must hold fast to the teaching of Christ, fellowship in Christ, worship of Christ, prayer to Christ. See, nothing new here. Here it is, reverence for Christ. Look at verses 43. Must hold fast to reverence for Christ. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That word awe there, the Greek means fear or terror, reverence or deep respect. Is that how we look at God? Is this the awe we live in? The believers lived with a fear of the Lord as they saw the miracles that the Holy Spirit was doing through the apostles. Why did he do them through the apostles? To authenticate their message and to advance his church. A a posture of awe is a posture of humility. It is a posture of reverential submission. And then I thought of this today. It's more common for the church to pursue relevance, which is driven by the fear of man, rather than reverence, which is rooted in the fear of God. The fear of the Lord eats the fear of man for breakfast every day. And if you find yourself struggling with a fear of man, hey, 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 there's an awe problem. Let's get our eyes back on Christ and then you really see who's over that person or that situation. Okay? The problem isn't a fear problem. The the problem is an awe problem. Okay? Little thing. Here, little personal snapshot. Before I get into devotions in the morning, I take five minutes and look out the window and just check out the stars. Check out the clouds. Check out the sun and get your awe back because that fuels everything. Reverence for Christ. God, you're awesome. Why the dandelions? But you're awesome. Right? Okay, let's get our awe back and watch what God does with that. Increased reverence for God leads to increased devotion to God. That's the reality. Increased reverence, increased devotion. Increased devotion, increased reverence. That's just the way it works. So how about you, loved ones? Are you living increasingly with an uncommon devotion to Christ? You say, I can't do that. Remember, God's giving you the power to do it. It's in there. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the question is, will you choose to step in faith? Where do you need to realign your heart with his right now? Under his teaching? Fellowship? Worship? And prayer? Or reverence? Okay? Because if we, if we, loved ones, this is so key, if we are 
to live as an uncommon community, we must have an uncommon devotion to Christ. And from this, we must have an uncommon unity in Christ. Unity flows out of devotion. Look at verses 44 to 47. And all who believed were together, love that, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. See, Luke now describes the practical outflow of the believers as they were increasingly devoted to Christ. Verse 44, it says, they were all together. The word together there means unified in fellowship with one another, unity in fellowship. And it says they had all things in common. All things are just, they shared all things. Now, now, now clarity, clarity, you're like, do I have to like live in a compound now? No. No, you don't. This doesn't mean that all Christians live together in some commune. All neighbors. Hey, what's going on? Where everyone put their resources into a big pool and they were all distributed to everyone equally. Rather, this is what it means. It means that each of them held their possessions lightly, open-handed, and were ready to share with them, with others, as needs or necessities arose within the church. It was voluntary generosity. What's mine is yours. What a beautiful picture. We so often just hold things like this, don't we? We just hold on to my own. And God's like, no, no, no. Open hearts lead to open hands. And what we see here clearly is that devotion to Christ is the foundation for unity in Christ. If we're not in devoted to Christ, we're not going to have unity in him. Because he's the one who brings it by the power of his spirit. They were spiritually united, Tony Marita says, as believers. And this spiritual union worked itself out into practical acts of love and obedience. That's what the church that's unified with an uncommon, commun- uncommon unity shows, displays. And you say, well, wait, what does this practically look like? Well, what does unity in the church look like? He gives us three marks of uncommon unity we see right here. Look at verse 45. The first one is this, uncommon generosity. Uncommon generosity, look at 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, now, the word possessions there, in, in ancient Israel, they owned property. It means a piece of property, land. They sold and had the money for that and had it ready to meet the needs of other members in the church. And belongings are just the goods that they had. So they weren't all communed right there, right? They still had their own stuff, but held it open-handed. It was God before me, you before me. God before me, you before me. They sacrificed their time and treasure for one another as the church had need. This is, loved ones, radical generosity. Is this not fly in the face 180 of our culture today? This is radical generosity. Remember, and here's something key to remember. You say, okay, so I'll earn favor with God if I just give away all my stuff. Listen, listen. These disciples, they're not trying to earn favor with God by doing this. This is an outflow of a work of salvation in their heart. They're not trying to earn their salvation through it. That is so important to remember. It's not works-based salvation. And I was convicted by this truth from David Platt this week. You'll see it on the screen, loved ones. There is never, never going to be a day when you stand before God and he looks at you and says, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. Just pause I wish you would have kept more for yourself, more of your time, 
more of your resources, more of your prayers, more of your help. That day is not coming when we're going to hear that. And this, this is ultimately what it comes down to right here. Are you confident that God can take care of you? If I sacrificially give to the church, am I confident that God will still meet my needs? If I sacrificially give my time to ministering to the brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, am I confident that God will make sure I have the time to do all he's asking me to do? I wonder how much of the experience, you, anxiety you and I experience is a result of us trying to do God's work for him. Work we weren't meant to do. Are you confident? That's what it comes down to, that God can take care of you. But if I can't serve because I got stuck, are you confident that God can take care of you? God's kingdom, remember, loved ones, less is more, less of me, more of him. The way up is down in God's kingdom. We bowed down that he would be exalted. And I loved hearing this in our church. I was thinking, I was so blessed in message prep this week, thinking of this church. In our church, how many meals to the sick, to those who have family members who passed away or to births, they, they care for one another in giving to meet needs. You know, I was just reminded of just a little while ago when one of our families was moving into a new place and they didn't have beds, they didn't have things like this. And, and to see the church come around them because they were known and loved. The need was known. They were plugged in. And then I called on the day to help them move and I'm told to the person in charge and I said, hey, like, I'm gonna be down there at like two o'clock. Oh, Pastor, you don't have to come. I said, why? We're already turning people away because we have so many hands on deck. That's awesome. That is the spirit of God. You before me. God before me. That is God at work, loved ones. See, common generosity says, I'm generous with you if you're generous with me. Uncommon generosity says, I'm generous with you because Christ is generous with me. That's uncommon generosity. I don't expect anything in return from you. Here you go. Because Christ is generous with me. Persevere... Oh. Persevering in that, loved ones, watch the blessing of God fall. Three marks of uncommon unity we see in this text. Number one, uncommon generosity. Number two, uncommon commitment to one another. Look at 46. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And here it is. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Persevering daily in corporate worship together in the temple and then meeting house to house in small groups for times of worship. God produced unity. Of course he's going to produce unity. That's what he promises to bless. He produced unity among them by unifying them in the heart and mind by his spirit with what his desires were for them as they did not stop meeting together and constantly stirred one another up in loving good deeds. That's Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Staying committed. They were committed to each other's Christ-likeness. They were involved in each other's lives. Hey, this truth that you, can't, you, you and I can't build healthy Christ-exalting relationships with others if we don't show up to the opportunities God gives us to do so. It won't happen. You can't do it. 
And so many, it's a tragedy because so many people are like, well, I've been coming to the church for a while and I'm not plugged in. I don't know any, I, there's, he's given you the roadmap for it. Right here, the blueprint, the uncommon community. Hey, loved ones, I'm with you on this. The hardest thing about Christianity, you know, one of the hardest things about Christianity is it's a daily thing. It's not like, I'll try really hard for this season and then we, one of the hardest things about Christianity is it's a daily thing. A daily humbling ourselves under the Lord. And common Western commitment, common Western Christianity says come on a Sunday and then do your own thing the rest of the week. That is nothing like the church God intends it to be. God's Christianity is come on Sunday and don't stop doing life together Monday to Saturday. Text, call, pray, come to small group, serve, my glory and your transformation depend on it. That's God's design for his church. Common commitment says, I'm committed to you if you're committed to me. Uncommon commitment says, I'm committed to you because Christ is committed to me. I'm all in with you, brother. Nick, I'm all in with you because Christ is all in with me. Remember, and you say, I can't do that. Some of you may come from church backgrounds where this is radical for you right now, and you're like, boom. And you say, I can't do that. Yeah, you can't on your own strength. Remember, loved ones, God will never ask from us what he's not willing to do in us. Ask him and step in in faith. Regardless of what I feel, move from emotion to devotion. I'm stepping in. I'm stepping in. So question, are you living with an uncommon commitment to your brothers and sisters? What is, what is your next step to get plugged in? Maybe it's just this. Maybe it's like, I need to commit to coming on Sunday mornings. I need to put aside the other stuff. Come, go to bed earlier on Saturday nights and commit to coming on Sundays. Maybe it's like, I'm coming to the prayer night. I'm plugging in. I'm joining a small group. I'm joining a service team, whatever. And I'm so thankful for the faithful men and women in this church that pray and serve and make priority and just seeing God bless them and this church bless you guys what is the unity in the church to look like here it is three marks uncommon unity uncommon generosity for one another uncommon commitment to one another here it is uncommon joy with one another look at verse 46 and 47 they receive their food back into 46 with glad and generous hearts praising God. You see how much joy is in that one statement? Praising God. The word glad there and generous hearts, get this, love this. This isn't like, hey, uh, I'm kind of glad this is going well. This is, the Greek there means ecstatic delight or wild joy. Would you like me to demonstrate that? You're like, mm-mm, no worries. I wasn't going to. Ecstatic delight and wild joy. Glad and generous hearts. Joy with one another as they worship God together. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a pastor. He says this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. I got to tell you, this past Thursday, super worn out, both my wife and I. And our small group's coming in half an hour and we're sitting on the couch literally begging God, help us. Please do something. And then the group started coming in. And immediately when you heard those voices, when you hugged our brothers in the Lord, all of that helped me. It was just like, 
yes, let's do this. And the house was full in worship and prayer. Like, there's an incomparable joy. We have strength together. And this is what happens when the church, as an uncommon community, does life together, empowered by the Spirit of God. There is joy in the Lord and serving him in joy with one another. I gotta tell you, two weeks ago, first-time visitor came in. Came in with his big family. And he's like, walks in. I said, hey, after the service, they came up. Rivera, I said, hey, how was it for you today? And how can I pray for you? He goes, wait, 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 I just have to say something. He says, um... I was so blessed by the very first guy serving that I encountered. I said, why is that? He said, he was so excited to be at church and that fired me up to be here too. He goes, he's the first guy I encountered and I knew the spirit of God was in this place because there's no other explanation. It's not some upfront position you see here. It was very much behind the scenes, very much, but that guy was on fire to serve the Lord and I want to be here. Before this ever got opened, this was opened in the heart of a guy doing what we would consider a mundane thing, and the Lord used it. Nothing insignificant when done for the kingdom of heaven, loved ones. We have to know that. Nothing. Two weeks ago, this guy's still talking about it. Common joy says, I'm joyful when you do what I want. Uncommon joy says, I'm joyful with you because my joy is in Christ and it doesn't depend on you. And it doesn't depend on my circumstance. So are you living with an uncommon joy with your brothers and sisters in Christ? You can. You can, loved ones. You can. Ask them for that desire and get plugged in. Get plugged in. The truth is this. When the church is living out its call to be an uncommon community with an uncommon devotion to Christ and an uncommon unity in Christ, lastly is this, it will result in being an uncommon witness for Christ. An uncommon witness for Christ. Look at 47, the back half. Praising God, and here it is, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That word favor there means when one is inclined or, or disposed to showing kindness to you by what they see going on. There's a kindness there. When a person sees a life of uncommon distinction and says, I want what they have. I want what they have. There's something driving them that's not the flesh, that's common in this world. They're not out for themselves. They're serving someone bigger than themselves. And as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through the church, outsiders noticed this distinct community that was filled with this uncommon devotion to the Lord and the joy that was evident from the generosity and commitment the people had towards each other. And the Spirit gave them power in their witnessing to others through it. Gave them power. They saw, like, what's going on here? What was the result? The Lord added to their number day by day those being saved by repenting of their sin, confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And notice this, it's important. The believer's focus wasn't to add people. Notice how it said, the Lord added to their number. Whose responsibility is it to save? It's not yours or mine. It's the Lord's. The Lord added to their number by leading people to repent of their sin and confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The focus of the disciples was not to focus on the growth. The focus of the disciples was to be faithful in boldly and consistently proclaiming and living out the gospel in community. And God would take care of the rest. 
you focus on the quality of discipleship with each other, I will focus on the breadth of discipleship that happens. That's why our primary drive here is not a numbers game. How can we be so relevant that we get people into the, no, 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 we stick to reverence, God will take care of everything else in his time and in his way. And it's so clear this, as Albert Moeller, one of my seminary profs at Southern, he said this, our great task, Harvest Ottawa, is not to make Christianity or evangelicalism credible, but to show that the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. God will establish his church. He will build it. Our job is to be faithful that they see the beauty of it. The gospel proclaimed on our lips and in our lives. It is beautiful, it is uncommon, and what the longing in every heart desires. Because the truth is this, you want to talk about an evangelism strategy? There it is, the greatest one on paper, right there. The truth is there's no greater witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ than for a person to see a life that has been radically transformed by Christ. That's the greatest evangelistic outreach there is. To see a life that has been radically transformed and living in this uncommon community of distinction for the glory of God. That is uncommon. Why? Because society's all about me. But people can't help but notice when they see someone who's like, what's going on here? I want what they have. Because there's a longing for that. Ecclesiastes 3.11 if you don't believe me. And there's no better way to respond as a church, loved ones, than to break bread together at the Lord's table. There's no better way to respond to this than to break bread together at the Lord's table and remember the love which Christ has loved us with, the love that makes all of this possible. Jesus says in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Uncommon yet life-changing. And as we come to the Lord's table today, it is a time to remember Christ's death and that he suffered and died that we may receive forgiveness of sin and walk in freedom and new life with him. Two elements we remember him, breaking bread in their homes, breaking bread together here now, The bread, which is his body, which was crushed for you and I. And the juice, which is the symbol of the blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sin, that we may walk in freedom and new life in him. But, as we come to this table, scripture commands us to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 says this. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. On himself. So in these next few moments, church, as the elements are being passed around, let's just be still. Can we just be still? Wherever you're at today, let's just be still and discerning before the Lord and ask him to examine our hearts and pray, Lord, search me, oh God, and know my heart. That, that sorrow I'm feeling right now, that discouragement I'm feeling right now, that anger, that unforget, that sin that's going on in my life right now, whatever it is, that anxiety, that fear, search me 
and know my heart and test my anxious thoughts and see where the offensive ways are in me and lead me in faith to the path everlasting. I trust you. I trust you, Lord. And when everyone's got their elements, we'll take it all together. So just hold off on taking it. And if you're here and you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I'll just say this. Just quietly let these elements pass by you. The Lord's Supper is only for those who are saved and born again in Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful that you're here. It's not a mistake that you're here. And I would love for you to come up and talk to myself or some of our other leaders afterwards about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? All right, ushers, you may come forward and I'm gonna pray. Father, as these people come forward now, I... I pray for your spirit of discernment right now. I pray for your spirit of um, strengthening and illumination right now as we humble ourselves under you in faith, regardless of what we're going through. Father, I pray right now you would see a church that longs for devotion to Jesus Christ and unity in Jesus Christ and longs for the faithful witness of Jesus Christ from that. So God, would you please, would you please search our hearts right now? Please search our hearts and know us willingly, sacrificially, joyfully, eagerly in these quiet moments. Say what you want to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen.